guys, it's Lori. This episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Check them out at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hold In My Heart podcast. This is episode 163, The Stewardship Garden. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Lori Krieg. Husband Matt once again is with our kids, so grateful for him. Uh, But we do have, you heard him already, the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. Uh, Guys, we are in week three of our gardens series. What are the gardens? Those are different areas of our lives that we are charged to cultivate. Uh, If you want to listen more, you want to understand more, I do have Matt with me uh, in the intro parts one and two, and you can understand just what this unpacking of these different gardens or areas of our life is about, or you can grab our Impossible Marriage book. We do talk about it there starting in chapter five, but the purpose of us talking about these different areas of our life is to see that life is more than a timeline. It's not just born and go to school and get married or not and have babies or not and tithe and die. Uh, life is about cultivating and bearing much joyful fruit with those around you and with the capital G Gardener, God. Timeline's boring. Garden to cultivate with Jesus is way more fun in my opinion. But today we're gonna talk about the stewardship garden, which sounds kind of I don't know, that one sounds the most boring to me, but I'm actually extremely excited about this conversation with my new friend, our new Hole in My Heart podcast friend of the show is Dr. Andrew Davis. And Andy, you gave me permission to call you Andy, welcome. It's so good to be with you, Lori. I'm excited about this time and excited about the chance that we have to talk. I'm so grateful. Guys, I would love for you to get to know Andy. Uh, he Just a little bit of his background. He's the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. I love North Carolina. Done mm-hmm. some hiking through there. I have a sister in the Asheville area. But he is also the founder of Two Journeys Ministry. He has degrees from MIT. Shout out to that. That's where my dad went. Uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and a PhD from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also a visiting professor of church history at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. of a council member of the Gospel Coalition and a trustee of the International Missions Board. And he's written several books, including today's focus, which I enjoyed very much. The Power of Christian contentment. I love that you put the word power and contentment. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll dive into it, obviously, hopefully all of those books. Uh, but the subtitle, Finding Deeper, Richer, Christ-Centered Joy. Uh, he and his wife, Christy, live in, is it Bahama? That's how you say it? It's Bahama. It's named for Bahama. three guys. Uh, so yeah, no. it's, I know people always say Bahamas because that's, yeah, but no, it's Bahama. <laughs> Bahama. Oh, that's so cool. North Carolina with their five children. I love big families. I'm one of 12, so I love it. We are so excited to talk today about the area of our life we call the stewardship garden. Stewardship garden, where generally speaking, we steward things like our time, money, and talents, those gifts that God's given you. We want to ask you about it with your latest book and how it relates to contentment. Contentment and time and money and talents don't seem to go together, but when I read the Bible, it seems like they should. So I want to learn a little bit more. Uh, but first, let's go to a question that we ask every guest. And it is this. It's actually a pair of questions. If the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine, and yet more sinful than I believe, when was the gospel first good news for you, Andy? And how is it still? 
That's a wonderful question. You know, I was raised in Eastern Massachusetts in a Roman Catholic um, background, Roman Catholic uh, family, and I knew the basic facts of Christ and of the gospel. I had a good experience in the Catholic Church growing up. I was not born again. And when I got to college, I kind of just drifted into my own things. I didn't really keep going to church. And uh, But I had a friend, a fraternity brother, who was a Christian and who loved the Lord Jesus and talked to me regularly about my soul. And initially I was interested, I was intrigued, then I was offended, because as you mentioned, <laughs> you know, we're more sinful than we thought we were, and I thought I was a pretty good guy, and he said I needed Christ. And uh, he was right, and my junior year I gave my life to Christ, and, and since that time it's just been a growing love relationship. I can't wait to spend eternity in heaven. I believe in a dynamic heaven, which we'll spend forever learning more and more and more always about the glory of God, and I can't wait. I actually just wrote a book about that that Baker's publishing this year. I'm excited about that, but I just can't wait to know more and more about Jesus forever. Ah, I have tears in my eyes already because I am, I want to know more about heaven. So maybe we'll come back uh, and talk to you about that because the dynamism, I don't know if that's the right word, but just a dynamic heaven. I agree. I, I believe that. I just want to understand more. So maybe we'll have you back to talk, to talk about I'd that. I'd love to. I'd love to. Oh, man. So, Andy, how do you still need the good news of the gospel today in 2021? Always, every day. I need him every hour. I need Christ all the time. And for me as a preacher, I just preached yesterday, and it, there needs to be a living relationship I have with the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the living and active word of God. It's got to be working in my life first before I can proclaim it to others. So every day I need him. Uh, I think it's just a journey. Sanctification is a journey of finding out the, the hidden pockets of sin. And as you said, being stewards of the resources and the talents God's given us. And that's a journey I'm still on. Uh, okay, let's go there. Because we've talked on this podcast about some of the like sleepiness, the like spell that it feels like. I don't really mean literal spell, but that COVID has put on us. And so already leaning into, okay, cultivating, utilizing our talents. Okay, I want to lean in there, but let's first, let's start with the word contentment. Uh, so what, what is contentment? Yeah, contentment, I, let's just take a, a simple definition of the word. Uh, we think of it as a, a feeling or a sense that you have of, of maybe a combination of peace and joy. Um, yeah. Now, for, for me, Christian contentment is that sense in the heart uh, based on the fatherly love of God, um, of trusting in him. Uh, the decisions he makes for our lives. And so a lot of it has to do with submission, a faith-filled submission to our Heavenly Father and what he chooses to do with our lives. And that sense that we have of peace and joy as we trust our Heavenly Father. Yeah. So I understand why you wrote <laughs> your, a whole book on it. Because I'm like, there's so many layers because you can look upward toward God and you're like, trust God. Like, okay, do you even understand who God is? And then look inward. How do you get to that steady place in your heart? I want to start to at the steady for a second because you give an example really a ch an example choice early on in your book that I've already asked several people in my life because it's such a good contrast that shows the need for the heart, peace, joy, trust, you know, so many words in one. Uh, can you tell us what is that choice, example choice? 
Sure. Well, it came from uh, contemplating what I think other than Jesus, we give Jesus the first place in everything. But I think the greatest picture of Christian contentment we have of anyone else is the Apostle Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. And they'd been beaten. They'd had a horrible, difficult time. The, the future was bleak. They might be even killed the next day. But for them, their future was not bleak. They were going to heaven when they died. Paul writes in Philippians, it's, it's better by far to depart and be with Christ. Uh, but earthly life was wonderful, too, because he could serve Christ and enrich the lives of those around. He was happy either way to live or to die. Uh, for him to live was Christ and, and to die was gain. And so Paul and Silas at midnight with bleeding backs hadn't had anything to eat. Their feet in stocks, they're singing praises to God and all the prisoners are listening to them. So I thought to myself, what would I rather? Would I rather have the best earthly circumstance you could ever have? Like some win a lottery and go on a cruise and go to some five-star hotel and, and all that. But the deal was you had to be discontent every moment, miserable every moment. Or would you rather be with Paul and Silas in that jail uh, suffering, but filled with joy and trust in Christ? And it would, to me, the choice was obvious, but it's not easy to get there. It really it's hard for all of us. Mm. So I threw your example choice uh, to my this this would you rather example uh, to my sister, who is in ongoing chronic pain uh, due mm. to autoimmune issues and she's 30 and has a little kid and a full-time job and I said this to her and she goes yes uh, because everyone's trying to just pray over me and heal my body and she's like that's not what it's about she's like I am getting so rooted in Jesus and this is my her default is fun her default is not like, I'm going to write poetry about pain. She, that's more me. I'm that obnoxious person. <laughs> She's more like, let's have fun. And so I tell her this, uh, would you rather choice? And she's like, that is where I want to be. And I see her growing in that. So I just would love to take a little detour. How does suffering, because I'm watching this happen in real time with my precious sister, as she gets more and more rooted, how does suffering produce this, this, it feels crazy, you know? And Paul even says, if we are crazy, it's for your benefit. But how does, how does suffering interact with that contentment piece? Absolutely. We, we need to believe that our Heavenly Father is sovereign over everything that happens in our lives. If not, then we really don't have a basis for Christian contentment. We could yeah. see God saying, you know, I can't do anything to help you. But that's not the God of the Bible. He orchestrates circumstances very wisely. Mm. And he, he brings suffering into our lives to sanctify us and to train us and to work deeper uh, in our lives uh, in faith, preparing us for heaven in which there will be no more death, mourning, crying or pain. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, he is very careful about what he permits. If you look at Jesus's uh, ministry, his healings were effortless. They were absolutely effortless. They were 100% successful. He is the same now as he was then. So if we're going through any pain, there's a great intentionality in it. God is doing something wisely in our lives. And it will not last one day longer than it needs to, but he is very wise in what he does. And so I think that's where it's possible for your sister and all of us who suffer. We're all going to suffer at some point. To find God's fatherly love in the middle of it and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? How are you working in my soul? Mm. OK, 
Okay, I'm going to go down one more rabbit trail down this path because I can picture the person listening who's like, okay, well, I was sexually abused by my dad for 15 years of my life. Or, you know, what about this, this trauma that I had, especially when it's sin someone chooses and it's they they're broken. They choose sin and they sin on us. How how do you explain that? I'm sure you encounter this a lot as a pastor. Yeah, I mean that's that's horrific. It's absolutely yeah. horrific, and and we have to we have to realize our God is compassionate. He is gracious and compassionate, mm-hmm. slow to anger and abounding in love. And you look at those attributes, and compassion is only of use when we're in sorrow and suffering. And so you see Jesus weeping uh, before the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, right before he raises a, him from the dead. And that's the emotions of Jesus. He is very tenderhearted. He's very compassionate. So I think I start there. It's like, this is a God who comes alongside you in your suffering. But I'm just saying it is a far worse condition to think that God isn't sovereign and can do nothing about those kinds of things and isn't powerful in it. So I think to me, I'm, I'm going to say, look, the God of the Bible is sovereign. We can't always understand why he permits Satan to do the things he does. But you look at the book of Job, he permits Satan to do some horrific things to his servant Job, God's servant Job. And then God works with Job and reasons with him and restores him. So that's the picture that I would give. But I would start with, I would lead with God's compassion. Yeah. Well, and just a side note for those listening, when I've done my own, I've had a trauma history, not what I described from my dad, but from strangers. Um, And for me, it's so funny, especially if they've happened to you as a kid, you always misinterpret your life when you're a kid, unless someone explains it to you, especially when it's something uh, horrific. So I didn't realize I could say God loved me, but I pictured not the God of compassion that you just described. I pictured him sending these people to hurt me. And so when I actually did some therapy and we talk about listening, prayer, lament, biblical listening prayer where you're not just, you know, you have the Bible over your metaphorical ears and eyes and mouth. But I saw God, instead of sending someone to hurt me, I saw him with his hand on my back, weeping with me as these things happen. And that led me through a series of months and through with therapy to be able to grieve it with Jesus and name the sin. I know to be able to forgive my perpetrator but then now on this side, I'm, I hope it's a contentment feeling where I see it and I don't like what happened to me. But on this side of processing and healing, it's like, I see why God allowed it because he has enabled me to care for others <laughs> in their suffering. It's so true. And that's biblical. Paul says that we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. When we get to heaven, we're going to understand. I really believe this. The book I wrote on heaven, the one of the best chapters was on suffering. And when we get there, we're going to get, I really believe it's hard to prove, but I think it's biblical, a full explanation from God. Because the whole dynamic of salvation is God bringing us into what he's doing. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, he says, within himself. And that's something God revealed to Moses, a heart conversation God had at the time of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? The answer is no, I'm not going to hide it. When we get to heaven, there's no hiding. Everything will be told. And I can't imagine the God of the Bible saying, you know, 
that time in your life, I really don't know what was going on there. I really don't know what my purposes were there. I'm very sorry. I can't imagine that. That's not the God of the Bible. He will instead explain the the multi-layered dimensions of what he was doing in and through you. And it's going to be very satisfying. Because again, we'll be in a world with no death, mourning, crying, or pain. We'll be free from it all. And then God will show us his reasons. I love it. Hey guys, it's Lori. And Matt. And Steve. Hey guys, we have recently discovered a new to us translation of the Bible called the Christian Standard Bible. And you know what? We love it. (laughs) Currently, we really like the Holy Land Illustrated Edition. Yeah, I love that one because I've never been to Israel or Turkey or anything. And so to like see those places while I'm reading. Yeah, it just it makes you feel like uh, like you're experiencing it without having to drop a few thousand dollars to do so. Uh, Yeah. So, guys, if you want to check out this Holy Land Illustrated Bible, visit csbholylandillustratedbible.com. And we'll put that link in the show notes. So, okay, early on, also in your book, you talk about how contentment is something we have to learn, and it's like a secret. And so explain that a little bit. Well, that comes right from Philippians 4.12, where Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who strengthens me. So that secret Uh, What it shows us is that it's not guaranteed, but it is possible. Christian contentment is not guaranteed, but possible. And it's a skill, something you have to learn. You have to learn it. It doesn't come at, at conversion. The only way you can learn to be content in any and every situation is to go through any and every situation. Sometimes to go through them very poorly. To go through them murmuring and kicking and screaming and complaining. And then the Lord circles back and works with us. And we learn not to do that. We learn to trust him. So you get to that point of maturity where you learn to be content in any and every situation because God has never forsaken you. He's been with you every step of the way. So that's it's a secret to be learned. Uh, And I think you can actually go through your whole Christian life and never learn it. I think you can be a complaining, you know, murmuring, frustrated person and still be fruitful, but you won't be as fruitful. I think you'd be more fruitful if you were content. Okay. So here we are in the stewardship garden, trying to cultivate uh, these things that God has given us um, a certain amount of time. Uh, Financial, just money, you know, there's different, God entrusts different amounts to us and then gifts that he gives us. How does contentment relate? Because there's so much striving, striving, striving in the world. How does contentment relate practically to these three areas? I think it's a wonderful connection that you're making. I think the idea is, let's take time. And what I just said a moment ago, you're going through a certain circumstance in your life. Let's say it's suffering. You're going through some difficulty. You've got a day to live. You've got a a Monday or a Tuesday to go through. Will you go through it well or poorly? Will you go through it trusting in God or not? And will any non-Christian who is without hope and without God in the world ask you to give a reason for the evident hope that you have? So you could be going through a very serious medical situation. You're in a clinic with other people who have the exact same condition as you, but they don't have Christ. You you need to be evidently hope-filled. You, you need to be obviously hope-filled. What does that mean? There's just something in your countenance. There's something in your demeanor, like Paul and Silas, the other prisoners, the jailer, saw something different in them. They weren't suffering like everyone else. They were just different. And so I think Christian contentment is a powerful thing in those circumstances. And Jesus said, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a bowl. He puts it up on a stand. 
could it be the stand is suffering? He's going to put you on a stand and make you shine in a dark place. I think contentment enables you to be a steward of that situation. Okay, I'm going to jump in there and then we'll go to maybe money and talents. But I'm just thinking of a conversation I had with the Lord literally before jumping on here. And I'm I'm in a season right now where I'm, I'm aching with my sister. She has a big test coming up. It could literally number her days, uh, whatever the results are. And so of this medical test. And so I just was saying to the Lord, I'm like, God, I can't do this. And I sensed in my heart, yes, you can with me. And he's like, you can do this hour. And so I love what you're saying right now, because it's like, God, in my not Christ-like flesh, I just want to lay on the ground and cry. <laughs> you know, and maybe there's several listening who feel the same way. This is a hard, hard world. And I think we're feeling like our bones are like grating against the cement. There's like no buffer anymore. It's like we're all feeling that. And so I think that's so... That's encouraging to say, okay, this isn't a shamey thing. Hey, guys, you should feel content. You should be happy. It's not a should be. It's a, can you do this hour trusting the Lord? Amen. And then that's going to that's gonna shine. That was going to look different than the world. Okay, mm-hmm. what about money? How would contentment, this feels like an obvious statement. I'm just going to show you a softball. Money and contentment, how's that roll? I, w- I want to do the money thing, but let me circle back because I'm just moved Please. by what you just said. Oh, and and you. yeah, what I want to say is, what is the secret in the text? It's I can do everything through him who strengthens me. That's the secret. Yeah. It's like, well, what's so amazing about that? It's the vine and the branches teaching. You can't be content apart from Jesus, but in him you can. And contentment is a matter of strength. Uh, turning it around, it's a very weak thing to complain against God. It's weakness. Don't be weak. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Um, come n- near to him. Take all of your painful circumstances and give them to him and say, Lord, I want to walk through this well. I want to be a witness to other people. I want to be a witness to my family, to my, my spouse, my kids, to my friends. I want to, but I can't. Apart from you, I can't. Well, that's what prayer is. It's bringing our weakness to him. It's not bringing our abilities. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What he means is when I'm weak, I'm strong. If I pray, if I go to Christ, then I'm strong. If I'm on my own, I'm just weak. So I think that's that's it. We can't do it, but it's meant to bring us close to him and ask for that help. All right, so let's talk about money. Um, here's the thing. The way I look at it this way is that money, money is one of the greatest idols there is in this world. And money in that sense is a, is a liar. It tells us, it promises us earthly peace and contentment that it can't deliver. But Christians, in a healthy way, look on money as a tool. It's a stewardship matter for the purpose of the kingdom. How can we alleviate suffering? How can we alleviate lostness? What can we, and then practical needs, food, clothing, shelter, the things we use. If we have food and clothing, Paul says in another place, we'll be content with that. So if you're content with basics and you don't need luxuries, then you're freed up. And then whatever money God gives you, then uh, you can use it for his kingdom. You can you can store up treasure in heaven with it. You're free. You're a free person. But money can be shackles. It can be a chain uh, uh, to an idol. And so I think contentment actually sets you free to be a good steward with your money. That's so good. I'm thinking about um, Matt and I, most of our marriage been just pretty much broke. <laughs> And we just were trying, you know, paying off loans and just trying to be really good stewards. And we've whatever I am. We are not the models of perfect there. But in seasons where we're like, oh, my word, we're not broke. 
I in praying again. I'm just I'm just getting real in this episode, guys. Not that we haven't before, but I just I remember talking to the Lord. I'm like, man, so we have we actually have something here, and He's like, this literally has nothing to do with you, and that mean that to me spoke to that health and wealth gospel lie that many of us grew up with. If you obey God, He's going to give you throw you the Benjamins. Mm-hmm. It was, it, but my sense that conversation, the sense was exactly what you just said. Here's I own everything. I'm entrusting this to you. And so this isn't like, here's your reward. Here's your money for being a good girl. It's just, how are you going to steward this? So I love that perspective because then you're like, I don't want to worship it. I just like, what do you want me to do with it? It's a tool. And, and it's such a gift to be able to see it that way, to be set free. But it's a dynamic process. I mean, we could be very healthy in our view of money, you know, one month. And then a few months later where we be, yeah. we become idolatrous. So. Yes. Oh, it's, yes, don't convict me, but it is true. Okay, talents. Now, I want to engage this as I think about someone listening, because I've had people reach out and they're, I just think, okay, all of our mental health is garbage right now. And so some people are like, I don't even have any talents. I'm not Dr. Andrew Davis writing books on heaven and contentment. I'm not Lori Krieg, which whatever, who am I? Or whatever, Christine Kane, whoever's your idol person in your head. Um... And so they're like, I don't really have any talents. Can you talk to us about, I don't know, how can we see ourselves as valuable, but then, so (laughs) help me, talents, contentment, and then maybe even the self-hatred thing. Well, it, it all starts with understanding the value of our salvation in Christ, the value of justification. Of, of a paralyzed man laying at the feet of Jesus, lowered down through a hole in the roof, And Jesus looks at him and because of his faith says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And he hasn't healed him yet. He's a Mm -hmm. paralyzed man who's forgiven by almighty God of all of his sins, past, present and future. And will spend eternity feasting with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, free from death, mourning, crying and pain. Even if he doesn't heal him, what has Jesus done? And he's going to pay for that forgiveness with his own blood. He's going to shed his blood for that paralyzed man. But. So that people would know that he has the power on earth to forgive sins. He also healed him. And you can see the priority structure there. So we start with this. First and foremost, I am worth something. I am valuable. I am worth more than many sparrows. Jesus put it that way. We have worth because we're created in the image of God. And secondly, because we're redeemed with the blood of God's only begotten son. And even if we were paralyzed and could do no actions at all, We have worth and value. What worth and value did the thief on the cross have? Today you'll be with me in paradise. What great works did he do? Although I will say God used the account of the thief on the cross over 20 centuries to save lots of deathbed people who were just about ready to step into eternity. So God got a lot of mileage out of those few statements. (laughs) But here's a man that couldn't do any good work. So start with that. My worth and value is who I am as a human and as a redeemed son or daughter of the living God. Then beyond that, though, the Bible makes it plain that God gives to each one of his children a spiritual gift package. And it's not just a spiritual gift. It's an arrangement of special abilities to give you a function in the body of Christ. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, it says in, in, in Ephesians 4. So no one is left out. So if you feel, I have no gifts, I have no ministry, I have no role, Satan is lying to you. 
the Ephesians 4 says you do. First Corinthians 12 says you do. Every single Christian has a role to play. Isn't that incredible? How God has given us worthwhile good works to do, and he's gone ahead of us to prepare them. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So we just need to say, you know, I'm actually being lied to. Can I, can I give you an image from what you said earlier, this sleepy state that we're in through COVID? I think it has to do with this picture I have from the, uh, the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings movies of being stung by a spider with some paralyzing agent in our spiritual bloodstream. And we're being wrapped up with this sticky thread so we don't do Satan any damage. We need to shake all that sluggishness off and say, today is the day the Lord has made. I've got good works I can do today. Maybe I can't do this, this, or this, but I could do this or this. And we just get moving and do the good things God has for us to do. Every one of his children has a role to play. Mm. And you mean that. And even though, even if you didn't, like that is the word of God. And like, I just love his upside down kingdom. And it makes me feel good when I can get down in my own self. Like, oh, well, I don't know what I'm doing. And it's like, those who are great in the world now will be perhaps least in, you know, I'm not saying you and me are going to be least, but maybe we will be. (laughs) But those who are greatest now will be least in the kingdom. And those who are least now will be greatest in the kingdom. And so it's the small things, guys. It's those little things that even if it's not Instagrammable, even if it's not, you know, something that you can go public speak about, like Jesus sees it. And he is the, God's the creator of the universe. And like his noticing, his stewarding with you, his cultivating your talents alongside you. That's, that's the sweetest place. It's awesome. One of the chapters in my book in heaven is on, on obscure people and movements and events, things that weren't recorded in history. And a, a central witness is, the, is that widow that put in the two little copper coins. Jesus watched her do it and said she put in more than anyone. And so that woman, an obscure woman, we don't know anything else about her. Um, Jesus gave her the highest place that day in terms of giving. I love that. I love it. And um, it encourages me right now. So if we are, so we've been talking very individual if, with our singular self, cultivating these areas, tiptoeing on, uh, just talking about contentment as it relates to our time and our money and our talents. If we're married uh, with, and with kids or not, or if you're not married and you have kids, uh, here we are in this garden on this mountain, again, intro one and two, and we're trying to cultivate this stewardship garden. Time seems to be a primary one that's like, oh, I never have any time. And maybe contentment as it relates to time when it comes to family life is just suck it up <laughs> and deal. <laughs> is that what contentment looks like in married well, family world? Yeah, I think there's a lot of layers to your your question. I think, first of all, one of the things I wrote in my book is we have to make a distinction between contentment and complacency. Um, God is not okay with evil. He's never okay with evil. He's not, he, he sent his son in the world to die and he sent his, his spirit into the world to, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we're called on to do works of righteousness and holiness and light in a dark world. So he's not okay with sin and wickedness and evil. So we should never say to our spouse, you should be content with the little amount of time I'm giving you in, in our marriage. You know, it, you know, we don't, it doesn't work that way horizontally. I want you, I'm telling you to be content with whatever I do. No, it doesn't work that way. I mean, the Holy Spirit may be convicting a spouse that we, you need to make your family more of a priority. 
I don't know. I, I can't judge. I am saying that we have to judge ourselves. And that's what stewardship is. Am I investing my time with my spouse and with my children and, and my family connections as I should? So this the sense of Christian contentment, the centerpiece of it is God as Heavenly Father and his decisions and what he wants. So for me, it's to go to God and say, Lord, how do you want me to, to make the most of these relationships? I would say there is no more strategic relationship in the world than a Christian mother with her children, um, especially at the earliest stages, first five years of life. You think about the evangelistic power as she, as she is teaching her children what's known generally as their mother tongue. And in their mother tongue, they're going to read the Bible and pray their whole lives. The father has secondarily, you know, um, the second most influence. Now, he's the head of the home. He's the leader. And I think that's all true. But I'm just saying I've watched my wife with our five kids. I've watched godly women pouring into their children and shaping through the Holy Spirit, their souls for eternity. It's incredibly important. So that's a vital stewardship. And the same thing, I would say the, the single most important relationship in the world is the, is the husband-wife relationship. You know, that was the first one God set up, the first human-to-human relationship. And so, and you know, it's, it's important for us to love and to serve each other as God wills. So there's a lot of work for us to do. So contentment is not an excuse to, you know, for poor stewardship. We need to really enrich those relationships. What I like in what you're saying is it's, we got to go back to God and say, wait, 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 this isn't a matter of, am I okay with this like broken bone in our relating? <laughs> it's not that it's go to the Lord and maybe he'll say, oh, the bone is broken. <laughs> the the system is not working together. So then there's some readjustment that needs to happen or in the garden sort of thing, like some weeds that need to be pulled, some rocks that need to be uprooted and and then it's a, God, how do you want us to relate? How, you, this is your time. We're your kids. How do you sure. want us to cultivate this biblically? Yeah, and so, then it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Lori, go to the, you know, the gardening image, which there's so many of them in yeah. the New Testament. Jesus uses gardening image over and over. But you look at, at the statement he makes, I am the vine, you are the branches, my father's the gardener, the vine dresser. And it says he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, but every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. And so the, that pruning is taking off little shoots that are not part of God's plan for your life, that are wasting resources, so you don't waste more resources in that direction. Focus on these things. This is what I'm calling you to be and to do. So, you know, we live a very distracted life these days, and it's very shallow, and it moves around a lot of different directions. Let's center in on what God's calling us to do and do it to his glory. Mm. Okay, last area I want to talk about as we are engaging this, this stewardship and, you know, this contentment world. We think about the church right now, which, goodness, we're hurting. And I think about how when people reach out to me, friends, people I love who are in pain, I'm like, I got nothing for you. My life's already like hurting. And then I have to go to the Lord and I'm like, all right, I'll give some of that time or money or gifting. How can you encourage us, uh, you know, because maybe they'd be like, oh, you need to be content, which again, maybe this will be some of the repetition of the earlier one, but like, how can you exhort us as the church, even in this 2021 exhausted state, 
to step out of complacency and sin and to share, to steward some of our gifting? That's such a wonderful question. And I, I think the idea of contentment is is that it gets our own soul into the proper state to do the best good works that we can do, to be ready to serve. And I think that's really what a, a good daily quiet time is about. I think, you know, you look at, at Mark 135, Jesus got up very early, a great while before dawn and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And that was a pattern for us. That's how we should begin our day is having time with our heavenly father and getting our soul into a peaceful, joyful state in his fatherly love. And then knowing Ephesians 2.10, you've gone ahead of me today to prepare good works for me to walk in. Would you please work those good works in me? Give me energy and strength. Give me compassion. Help me to spend like Paul says, I will gladly spend myself for you um, to spend myself. Jesus dead on the cross, his clothing had been taken from him and gambled away in fulfillment of prophecy. His life blood had poured out of his body. There was nothing left to give. He gave everything. And though we'll never reach that infinite level of giving, that's our goal is to, is to deny ourselves and to give. And when we do, we end up finding ourselves filled with joy and satisfaction in our lives that God's using us. And then he fills us back up with more resources and more opportunities and we have another day to live. It's really a marvelous, wonderful thing. And contentment gives us power to do it. I need to underline what you're saying because it can just sound like words. And even this weekend when I was like, God, can you help me? Like, and then I was like, can you really? And then I was really like looking at my own heart. I'm like, do I, am I, do I actually believe that God can give me the energy and the wisdom and love for others? Or am I just like riding on, I'm just doing me. And then I'm sprinkling a little prayer on it, but he is real and he can and does fill you and he longs to work alongside us and to fill us and he loves his people and Amen. so he wants to utilize us people to love other people so i just want to say yes and amen to what you're saying and what you're saying is not pretend these are not just words this is the power of god which is why you have uh, that word in your subtitle can you uh land the plane with us um just talking about that that power yeah well there's so so many wonderful aspects of it you know we think about the the statement in acts 1 8 you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria to the ends of the earth that power is the power of almighty god through the third person of the trinity dwelling within you uh, infinitely greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It, this is mm-hmm. almighty God, the third person of the Trinity. This is the Holy Spirit. Um, for 20 centuries, he's been making the gospel succeed in every generation to the ends of the earth. He never loses. He is absolutely powerful in us. And he knows our weakness. He knows that we are sinners. He knows that we still wrestle and struggle with selfishness and idolatry and, and all kinds of temptations. He's very aware of that. But he just relentlessly pursues us. The spirit of Christ comes after us again and again. I mean, you think about the occasion when the disciples forgot to bring bread and they're bickering about whose turn it was, who should have done it, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus said, what are you arguing about? And they didn't want to tell him. And he said, why are you talking about having no bread? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketballs I picked up? 
and and the seven loaves for the four thousand. How many basketfuls? How is it you don't understand? How is it your hearts are hardened? You have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear. That's how he talked to his own twelve. He knows that we're weak in faith. Where is your faith? He said that after the stilling of the storm. Why are you so afraid? Do you think that Almighty God sent His only begotten Son into the world to die in a tragic boating accident? <laughs> That's why Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. It's a good time for some rest. And it's just amazing. But God orchestrates the storm to bring them to the edge. They're veteran fishermen. They knew that that sea. They knew that they were in deep trouble, and Jesus was asleep. But the fact of the matter is, our faith can be strengthened through these trials. And so I would say this, pursue Christ and say, would you please make me content like Paul and Silas were in that Philippian jail? Make me content, whatever you choose for my life. Help me to be a witness to the people who are watching me walk with you. Mm. That is such a good word. And truly the only way forward is in him. I this This suffering, this collective suffering we're going through as believers and as a world the only way we're going to make it through is in Christ. Amen. Otherwise, we're going to look just like the world and we can't, guys. We can't. So let's, I keep saying, let's get rooted. And some of that is God is starting with that buffer time at the beginning of your day. And uh, I say buffer time, it's quiet time, but that gives you the buffer and it gives you the energy that gives you real true supernatural power to love God to and to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, guys, go get Dr. Andrew Davis's book, our new friend Andy, The Power of Christian Contentment, Finding Deeper, Richer, Christ-Centered Joy, and find him at twojourneystwojourneys.org. Anything else you want to let people know to, to connect with you? Such a joy to be with you and to be able to connect with you. And and uh, I look forward to, you know, future chances to talk with you. Yeah, that book on heaven, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us today, Andy, and for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast. Guys, we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>